Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. We are talking uh, financial planning, college, uh, how to pay for college, all the fun topics that we all um, dread, and uh, at least for me. And I have uh, Anne Garcia with me today as my guest. So we're going to dive into that topic and I'm excited to hopefully learn more and maybe um, she can share us some um, some tips, tricks. And then she's got a book called uh, How to Pay for College that we're also going to talk about today on the podcast. Um, but before I bring Anne on, let me give you some background. Um, Anne Garcia has helped thousands of families save millions of dollars on college. She's a certified financial planner partner uh, at Independent Progressive Advisor in uh, Portland, Oregon, and the author of How to Pay for College, a complete financial plan for funding your child's education, and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, Money, U.S. News and World Report, and countless other media. As the parent of twins who graduated debt-free from college, she understands the ins and outs of 529s and FAFSAs and the emotional components of helping your children achieve their dreams. Please welcome Ann Garcia to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I've got massive um, college debt. So uh, it's, you know, something I'm learning on all the things FAFSA. Fannie Mae, Sally Mae, all the fun stuff. Um, it's it's taxing to think about because um, I was 18. You just kind of leave it in your parents' hands and then you're just kind of stuck with what happens. So um, yeah. sure, we'll dive into that topic. But before we do, I like to ask um, an icebreaker, which is what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? You know, I have so many good cookie memories. I don't know. Baking has always been something that my family has done together. I did it with my family when I was a kid and my kids and I always did it growing up. And it's just one of those things I always look forward to when the kids come home for the holidays or anything else, just, you know, pulling out all the baking stuff and, and, and getting going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my kids like to help, um, but then they never eat them, which is weird. What? Or usually, well, they do and they don't. Like, I try not like the sugar cookies. Like, is just a mess. But they typically like to eat the frosting, and then they just kind of sit, and then they never ask for them again. Um, so then I bake, but no one wants them. So it's like I probably next year I'm just not gonna do anything and say, well, I brought cookies and no one wants them, so. Oh, well, saves me some See, that's time. The hard part is they get older, you know, they get better and better at baking and then they have more interesting and elaborate things they want to try and they're less interested in eating them. <laughs> True. And then also with just guests and stuff, you don't like that. No one wants them because it's sugar or this or that. So it's like, it's Christmas. Eat what I baked. <laughs> yeah, just relax people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cookie's not going to kill you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I always like to do that icebreaker because uh, some people will come on and have like anxiety around the question and some are repeat and they're like, I have a different one. So it's always a fun uh, icebreaker to dive into. Who doesn't like cookies? I know, right? Exactly. So um, you have twins. So have they, they've graduated debt-free. Um, 
let's talk a little bit more about your background and financial planning. I'm, this is a topic that I get a lot of anxiety around. Um, so it wasn't my role in the marriage that, um, I was, I was in. And so now I'm learning because I'm head of household. So, uh, college planning is on the horizon. Yeah. Well, and you know, and what you said, you know, just feeling anxiety and guilt and shame around money is totally normal, unfortunately, because it is an anxiety and stress inducing topic. Um, part of the reason that I got into this career path was because I felt like the more I knew about it, the more I could bring my own stress level down. And I felt like that was really empowering. And I wanted to pass that along to to other people. And I noticed in particular among parents that college was particularly anxiety inducing, you know, just the very large expense and the feeling like it's out of control and, you know, and what am I even planning for and where does this fit with everything else that I'm, that I'm trying to do. And I, you know, I noticed early in my career as an advisor that I was talking a lot to two groups of people. One was you know, young adults who'd taken out tons and tons of student loans who were struggling with really the basic building blocks of their adult financial lives, whether it was saving for retirement or buying a house or sometimes even just having emergency savings because their student loan debt was just really taking up all of their, you know, all of their disposable income and oftentimes even, even more than that. And the other group was parents who said, you know, I, I just don't have any idea how I'm going to tackle this this massive and, and monumental expense. And I kind of realized if I could help that second group, you know, those parents who were trying to figure this out, that ultimately I might see less of that, of that first group. You know, if we can get more people to understand how college funding works, how college costs works, how to, how to tackle it um, effectively. And, and not only those pieces, but also, you know, how you talk to your kids about this so that you are, you know, putting them on, you know, on, on a pathway that works for your family that gets them a great education, but doesn't saddle them with an overwhelming amount of, of student debt in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, like private versus like parent plus loans and just, there's so many options. So I went to a private school and so did my sister. And I guess they always say like, looking back, we probably would not have done that. Um, and I had grants and scholarships, but still it's like minimal when you go to a, at least a private school. Um, so now I have all this debt that's, that's my parents are paying for, but you're still connected to it. And so it's like anxiety around, you know, how those get paid off or how things get forgiven and who's really on the hook. If there's like, if the parent like passes away and it's, there's so many factors. And so student debt, also, there's a lot of talk about forgiveness, but then you have to qualify. And so do you navigate those things as well? So to some degree, yes, but I really, I really try to focus on parents who are trying to plan for this for their, yeah. you know, for their own, um, for their own children. You know, the unfortunate thing with the, with the student loan side of things is that the repayment plans and forgiveness options and whatnot have become so complicated and so specialized that there are whole degree programs for advisors to go through just to counsel people on yeah. On okay. that, and I would rather just try to head that off at the yeah, past. of course. Oh no, of course. Um, it's just there's so much going on right now, and mm -hmm. for me personally, so as a parent with younger kids, I don't know if this is a trend, but college is becoming possibly 
maybe because of the tech industry and I live in Austin. So there's a lot of like startups and kids like right out of like high school. So very young entrepreneurs. So college is not really a thing that they're doing. Uh, you know, it's very old fashioned. Some people will think some go to trade school. What is the trend that you're seeing now with college? And if it's something that uh, parents are now, uh, you know, it's just traditional, you go to school, go to college, get a job. But just because of the way that things are working, are you still seeing that trend is pretty high for parents? I'm still seeing that that, that, that is pretty high, you know, about a 50% of people ultimately end up earning a college degree in, in one form or another. Um, I do think, you know, on the one hand, we have over the last, say, 20 years, seen a, seen a huge increase in the number of careers and professions that require a college degree. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a change in that where um, experience in lieu of a degree is um, is being counted more and more option and more and more often. So I think you know there are going to be definitely lots more pathways that open up to people who don't have degrees. On the other hand, the time you spend getting the experience and qualifications in lieu of a college degree, um, you know that can be a, a pretty long pretty long path as as well. Um, you know the good news is. We hear, so, you know, on the one hand, we hear so much about, you know, the Stanford's and Harvard's of the world of it's $85,000 a year to go to college and tuition goes up 7% every year. But really, you know, the good news is that's a small outlier number of colleges. Um, the majority of colleges discount their tuition very, very significantly to the majority of, of students. Um, you know, college costs, what people actually pay have remained flat since the Great Recession. So, you know, going on okay. 15, going on 15 years now. And there are increasing number of pathways available to students at literally every price point. My son, so my kids graduated from college last um last spring, and my son has a friend who got her degree for zero dollars. So she did two years of free community college. And then she was working for Starbucks and Starbucks had a tuition partnership program with Arizona state. And she finished her four-year degree online at Arizona state for, you know, for free. And, um, and there are many companies that offer, you know, that offer programs like that. Most states have some version of free community college. So, so definitely lots and lots of pathways to, to a degree. And, you know, the benefits, even though, you know, even though there are loads and loads of pathways to successful adulthood that don't, that don't involve college, the benefits of a college degree are, are really tremendous. You know, economically speaking, college graduates will earn an average of a million dollars more over their lifetime than, um, than do their peers without, without degrees. The unemployment rate is usually about half for college graduates, what it is for those without a degree. So there's a tremendous amount of economic security that comes from that, but tons of other good, you know, tons of other good outcomes from college, you know, college, college graduates have lower rates of heart disease and type two diabetes. You know, obviously there's a socioeconomic component um, to that, but, but that is generally as parents, something that we want, you know, that we want for our kids. They live longer and healthier lives. They consistently rate higher on surveys of life satisfaction. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and so these are all things that we want, you know, things that we as parents want for our kids. And the good news is there are lots and lots of ways to get it. You know, college graduates marry at higher rates and divorce at lower rates. They, other than those who have taken out student loans, they own homes at much higher um, at much higher rates than than those without without degrees. So, um, 
so, you know, this is probably something that you as a parent want for your kids. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The important thing is finding a good pathway that works for them and works and works for you so that you provide them those benefits without that drag of student loan debt, either for you or for them. Absolutely. And so for someone that's just starting out and they're trying to figure out how much to put towards their um, child's you know, college budget. And obviously this is going to be in retrospect to how much you make and your lifestyle. So I'm sure there's not like a nitty gritty number or maybe there's a percentage. So if, you know, if you don't have anything going on right now and you want to start setting stuff aside, whether that be through an account or cash, what is an appropriate uh, allocation for someone that's trying to, to save these. Yeah, days. Well, like you said, there's no one right answer for, for yeah, right. I think it's important to think of it in, um, um, in, in the context of your overall financial picture. So your savings priority order is, you know, your first savings should be emergency savings. Your next savings should be retirement savings. And then after that college savings comes into play. And so if you don't have emergency savings, don't save for college. Um, not having emergency savings is how you end up with credit card debt and, yeah. and other, you know, high interest, really punitive um, forms of debt. Um, if you don't have retirement savings, don't save for college either. Um, if you, let's say you've got your emergency savings and your retirement savings, if you're not maxing out on retirement and maxing out on retirement is, you know, $7,500 to, to an IRA or um, uh, 22500 to a 401k, um, you know, if you're not maxing that out, then don't put more than 10% of what you're putting into retirement into college. So okay. if you're saving $5,000 a year for retirement, then $500 a year is a good amount to save, um, to, to save for college and, for a year, you know, for a year. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And if you want to save more for college, start by saving more for retirement. So bring those two numbers up you know, up, up hand in hand. If you are maxing out retirement, then, you know, look at things like what's the maximum state tax deduction I can get for contributions to my 529. And maybe that's a good, a good number to, um, to target. Most people don't save the full cost of college in advance of college, because that's just not possible right. <laughs> for, for most people. But, you know, the thing is, Students whose families have any amount of college savings, you know, even if it's 500 total dollars, not only enroll in college at higher rates, but they graduate from college at higher rates. And that's really what we're after is, is for our kids to actually graduate so that they can reap the benefits of that educational pathway that you've created for them. Absolutely. And I guess one of my quick biggest questions is um, if you're doing like the 529s through your state, um, I know that that then goes towards a college, a public school, a public college in your state. What if your child decides not to utilize that? Is that money gone and lost? No, no. And, I, and that's a common misperception about 529s. Any 529, regardless of what state you open it in, what state you live in, can be used at any college. So okay. the fact that I'm in Portland and use the Oregon College Savings Plan, one of my kids went to school in Arizona and one went to school in Chicago and we use their 529s for that. There are some 529s called prepaid tuition plans and, and a few states run those. And what, what that work, the way that works is you're buying tomorrow's tuition at today's prices. And so you get an auto, instead of having market returns that you would get in an investment portfolio, 
Sometimes with those plans, if you don't go to your state's public colleges, you'll get a different tuition inflation rate than if you did. But your 529 does not limit, you know, your choice of a 529 does not limit your choice of, of college. Any 529 can be used at any, any college where you can take out a federal student loan. And so that includes public and private four-year colleges. It includes community colleges. It includes apprenticeship programs, trade schools, um, and many states allow you to use it for private K-12 education as, as well. Oh, really? So you can yes. also use it for private school uh, before college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, okay. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And then if your kid never ends up going to college, you still have options for it. It still isn't use it or lose it. Um, there's a new... Um, uh, the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed a couple of years ago had one provision that just came into effect this year in 2024, which is that you can roll over unused 529 funds to a Roth IRA. So I know that for, you know, for a lot of parents, you know, it's like, oh, I don't think I want to do a 529 because I don't know if my kid's going to go to college. To me, I feel like this, that's a provision that sort of takes that stress away because you can treat your 529 as your kid's launch fund. And yeah. If they don't end up go to, going to college, then you just start transferring that money over to a Roth IRA where they can access the contributions um, that you've that you've made, whether it's to you know buy a car for a job, have a down payment for an apartment, um, you know, even save up eventually to um, to to buy a home. So five twenty nines are definitely not not use it or lose it. And so you typically would roll the five twenty nine to the is in the child's name, and so then that money then is basically like a startup fund. If they end up not going, they can utilize it somehow other place. Exactly, they can. So you can you can um, as soon as your child starts having earned income, you can start rolling funds from a well. As long as the account's been open for fifteen years, you can start rolling it to a Roth IRA. Oh, I see. Okay, so there's a time limit there as well. Yeah. Um, so then when you um, how do students then like qualify for scholarships and financial aid? I know like I remember I had to apply for a bunch and then it depends on where you're going, ethnicity, your background, you know, those types of things. How does one do that? Yeah. So, well, so taking a step back from that, there are three different types of scholarships and the way you, the way you get any of uh, each of them is, is slightly different. Um, the two big ones are come from colleges themselves. That is um, need-based financial aid and institutional merit scholarships. So the, then the third type of scholarships is what's called outside scholarships. And those are, those are scholarships that are awarded by anyone other than the college. But the big scholarships come from the colleges themselves. So to qualify for need-based financial aid, your ability to pay for college as calculated by the FAFSA or the CSS profile if you're applying to private schools is has to be lower than the cost of attendance of that college. And then if it is, and that college offers need-based financial aid, then you might get scholarships on, on that basis. And so to get those scholarships, all you do is file the FAFSA, file the CSS profile if it's required, and then apply to the college and you will automatically be awarded the scholarships that the, that the college offers. The next type of scholarships are institutional merit scholarships. And again, these come from the college themselves. Um, you know, we often think of athletic scholarships, but it's really the mathletes who clean up on the merit scholarships. Oh, I bet. I had dean scholarship, I believe. I had a dean scholarship, which came from, I mean, it was, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't a mathlete, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people, well, you know, my kid doesn't have a 4.6 GPA and a perfect SAT. So we probably won't get merit scholarships. And really any student with a B average or above is going to be eligible for merit scholarships somewhere. Um, you know, because it's all how you look relative to the cohort of students at, at the school. So my son, for example, was not eligible for any merit scholarships at the University of Oregon. He was not a great high school student, but he was at, um, at an out-of-state public school. And in fact, it was cheaper for him to go there than to stay, you know, than to stay in-state because he was eligible for this big merit scholarship. Okay. Um, and like, just like with the institutional need-based scholarships, most merit scholarships are awarded automatically when you apply to the college if the college offers merit scholarships. Now, not all colleges offer financial, uh, financial aid on the basis of need. Not all colleges offer merit scholarships. Um, so for you as a family, it's a good idea to find out, you know, first of all, what are we eligible for? Are we, do, we have, do we have financial need? Or are we looking for colleges with merit that offer merit scholarships? And a great way to do that is to go onto the federal student aid website, which is studentaid.gov, and they have a tool called the Student Aid Estimator, and you can punch your information into that, and it will give you a number, which is um, an estimate of a number called your Student Aid Index, and that is basically your ability to pay. Okay. Um, and if that number is less than the cost of college, then you would be eligible for need-based financial aid. If not, then again, the scholarships you want to look for are merit scholarships. There's a um, there's a great website out there called College Data, and it's just collegedata.com. And you can look up any college in there, and they have a tab called Financials, and it says under the Financials tab what types of scholarships they give. You know, do they give need based scholarships? Do they give merit scholarships? And so that can help you, you know, as you go through your college research pro process to say, okay, here's a college where we're likely to get, you know, here's a college that gives the type of scholarships that we're eligible for. And, um, and, and these are the approximate numbers um, that, um, that, that they give. So like need-based aid, the majority of merit aid is awarded automatically just by applying, but most colleges have some additional scholarships that you can apply to to get even, you know, even, even more money. So anytime you're applying to a college, you know, first of all, find out what their financial aid policies are, find out what kind of scholarships they give, and then find out what other scholarships are out there um, at that college that you might need to submit an additional application for. So then the third type of scholarships are these outside scholarships. And those are scholarships that are just offered, you know, by literally anyone, um, you know, organizations, offers. those types of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are big websites like FastWeb and the College Board website that have databases of, you know, hundreds or thousands of of these scholarships, but I think the best place to find those scholarships is going to your high school's college and career center. Um, they won't have as many, but the applicant pool for those scholarships is going to be smaller. You know, mm -hmm. everyone who goes to the prom can apply for the duct tape prom dress scholarship, <laughs> but your high school is going to have some scholarships that only students from your high school are eligible for, or even a subset. I mean, our high school has a scholarship for the tennis team. There's like eight people on the tennis team, 
you know, and right. one, of them got the, one of them gets that scholarship every year. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think we looked at like the newspaper back when I was going to college, like you mm -hmm. looked it up in the newspaper, you could see which essays you could apply for and they were different ones. And I mean, it's come a long way, I think, because there's so much more information. I feel yeah. like there's a scholarship for everything out there. Yeah. And you no longer have to write to the college and request an application either. <laughs> oh, I know. Cause those big long, and you had to write it out application process and mail it in and all that. I know it's all, you know, digital now. What would be, um, and I've asked this question on, um, a sim when we talked about this similarly with another guest is when is the most appropriate time to start looking at this? Because, um, like if, when you're a freshman, you start thinking about it, do you have to decide and look at these things before you decide like like the websites and financial aid and and whatnot uh, before you apply to those or can it be after the fact? Um, what is the proper timing and order? Yeah, so you know it's never too early to start and it's also never too late, but it is important to be age appropriate. So like I'm fourth grader and down. Like, is that yeah? <laughs> you know, great conversations to have with your kids about college or just talking to them about great things that happened to you when you were in college, you know, friends you made, things you learned, stuff like that. Just introduce the concept of college to them as something that enriched your life and that you'd like them to think about as something that could enrich their life. You know, think of it as a pathway that, um, that they might like to, to be on. Um, you know, it's not a great time to be talking about student loans or financial aid or, <laughs> No, things can you know, happen on the yes. <laughs> Any of those types of things. I think a great thing to do is once, you know, when your kids are in middle school, you will see opportunities to bring up the concept of college from the perspective of cost. Um, oftentimes it's a friend's older sibling who's applying to colleges, you know, and um, and and you'll start hearing some college names. And, you know, here it's always like, oh. Scott's brothers applying to Gonzaga and University of Oregon. Do you know those two cost really different amounts? <laughs> right. Let's, you know, let's let's look at that. Other thing that's great to do when your kids are in middle school is take a look at, you know, what does your college budget look like at this point? You know, what is your savings? What's what's the likely trajectory of that savings from now through the end of high school? How much can you pay out of pocket? Um, and, and see what that translates to for a college budget. Because um, there's a couple of things that can come out of that. You know, one is you say, this looks great, totally happy with this, we're good. Another is, hmm, I really want a four-year college experience for my kids, but my budget looks like it's maybe only going to support two. And what do you do with that information? Well, you can start getting acquainted with two-year college pathways and see what those options are so that you're framing your child's expectations along along those lines. Um, or you can say, well, are there other things I can do to add to this? You know, maybe send out your 529s gifting page to friends and family when it's your child's birthday or the holidays and say, hey, we don't really need any more toys. What mm -hmm. we're focused on is, is is college and um and we'd be grateful for contributions to our to our college savings in, in lieu of of, of other gifts. Right. Um, you know, Actually. look at, are there, do you have room in your budget for additional, for additional savings? Um, another thing that's great to do when kids are in middle school or, you know, really early in, in the high school years is um, look up what kind of scholarships your state schools provide and on, and on what basis, you know, most public colleges mm -hmm. automatically grant merit scholarships mm -hmm. to students if they have a 
a certain um, GPA, um, a GPA and, and often test score combination. And so make sure that you're tracking towards towards those scholarships because um, that can make a huge difference in you know a huge difference in the in the cost of of attending college. Um, you know if you can can get some big scholarship dollars from your college, yeah, to uh, to reduce your tuition. It's easy to target those when your kid's a freshman or even early in sophomore year. If you wait till junior year to look it up, uh, you may be struggling to figure out ways to bring their GPA up up a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You want to start early enough to understand it in yeah. the goal. I think, you know, I think it's really important that you that you do talk about your family's college budget before your kid starts applying to to colleges. You know, there are 4000 colleges, more than 4000 colleges out there. So the idea that only this one is going to work is just, you know, is just nonsense. Um, but it's, you know, so the sooner, you know, the sooner you can start framing where college fits in your priorities and your values and in your budget to your kids, the the more opportunity you have to get ahead of them and ahead of their friends and sort of guide that, you know, guide them on that pathway. I encourage people to talk about college costs from the perspective of goals rather than constraints. Mm -hmm. And so that means, for example, you know, we've saved enough that you can um, go to college in state and graduate without student loans. And that's really important to us. Um, you may be able to find other op other options within that same price point and we will absolutely support you in that but you know your budget is is X. this much um rather than don't bother applying to private schools we can only afford to send you to public <laughs> right right and and really we learned the hard way just because we were my parents were like, didn't do, I guess, as much research as they did. Like my sister and I both went to private schools and when I went out of state and when she stayed in state and I had some money and everything like that. But again, I didn't educate myself. So in my opinion, I also think it's really important to educate your child when that time comes and what exactly it is and what the debt or the loan is for. So they understand what that is going to be like later, because that was something I learned at a later age, which was, um, daunting and just confusing and all the fun stuff too. Yeah. And I think that's hard for kids to internalize because yeah. <laughs> you know, experience I had with teenagers in my household and elsewhere, you know, who are, you know, maybe making money from babysitting or mowing lawns and see that the average starting salary for a college graduate is $55,000 a year where they're like, that's no problem. <laughs> right. No right. problem at all. I think it can be helpful to look at, you know, what, what would your student loan payments be and what are things in your household budget that cost that much? So what would it be like to live without eating out ever? <laughs> right. Right. Um, which is a much more meaningful conversation to have with a teenager than you'd be spending $600 a month on, on student loans. Now, with all of that being said, um, there are lots of options for loans and there are better ones and worse ones, you know, about, you know, more than half of students end up taking out student loans. Um, less than 40% of families think they're going to borrow going in. So just know that that, you know, that whether or not that's your plan, it's something you should still be informed about. Um, the federal direct student loan program is a great option for 
students um, who need to borrow to attend college. And that is, you know, it's a loan that the student takes out. There's a cap on the amount they can borrow every year. The total amount they can borrow over four years is $27,000. And that translates into a monthly payment of about $325 for 10 years. <clears throat> so more than offset by the value of that college degree that they would be earning. So if, you know, if taking out the direct student loan is the difference between going to college and not going to college or going to a great fit college where you're confident you're going to graduate in four years versus going to one where you don't see yourself as a fit, that can be a good investment to make in in your future. But once you start layering in parent plus loans and private loans and everything else on top of that, that's where people really get in over, over their head. Oh yeah, for sure. Learning that one. But is there anything that, so are there any loans that you want to stay away from if possible, which are probably those parent loans or private? I would say, you know, parent plus loans and the private loans are really, are really the ones to avoid. So student loans, there are federal student loans, and then there are private student loans. The federal loans, um, there's the direct student loan, which is the loan that's taken out by the student. And that's that one that's $27,000 over four years. Those have the lowest interest rates. They have all the federal loan protections around loan forgiveness, um, hardship provisions, income-based repayments. You know, all, all of those are, are part of the pack package. They're eligible for public service loan forgiveness and whatnot. There are loans for graduate school. And then there are parent plus loans within the federal loan portfolio. Now, parents can borrow up to the full cost of attendance in parent plus loans. Those have very high interest rates. You know, currently they're around 8% um, and, and, and seem to end up with very large balances because you can borrow up to the full cost of, of attendance. And in fact, the largest, the fastest growing cohort of borrowers is parents who are taking out, who are taking mm -hmm. out parent, parent plus loans. And oftentimes they're carrying those loans into retirement. Um, they're having their social security garnished um, when they're not able to make payments. I mean, it's a really, um, they're, they're, it's an ugly, ugly right. situation with, with parent plus loans. So I would say if you are finding yourself making a choice that includes parent plus loans, you should look at the other choices that are, right. that are available to you. Because as I said, college is available at every price point. Absolutely. Um, because there's so many options out there and then you want to make sure that um, you're not sticking the kid with the bill if that's not your intention. But then, you know, mm -hmm. there's just so many, um, but, but just like parenting anything, it's very daunting. And it's always new in college is unless you did it on your own the first time around, you know, there's always a learning curve. And also there's times change. Like mm -hmm. college now is not the same as like when I went to college, I think it was like 20 years ago is when I entered it in. So it's just a, it, and I'm sure when my kids are what I've got eight years before my first one will be eligible. It's I'm sure it'll look completely different. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a different college is a different world than it was, you know, and when you went was kind of at the start of the whole, you know, it's okay for students to take out loans to pay for college. And unfortunately mm -hmm. we seem to have moved a little bit, you know, a little bit past that. Um, but, but, you know, I think that, that what people don't see is, that college doesn't have to cost $85,000 a year. College right. doesn't have to cost, doesn't have to cost more than you can afford because there are loads and loads of good pathways and they all lead to those, that same set of benefits. 
Sure. And it just also depends on what degree. I mean, if you're going into a specialty and you need to be at a certain place like that, that's where you kind of weigh in on specifics. But I mean, there's lots of, like you say, like 4,000 colleges out there. Um, and, and chances are good. That. There's more than a couple that'll work for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, so in, you have a book, um, called, um, how to pay for college. And so take us through that book a little bit and, um, how it's structured and, and how it's helpful. Yeah. Well, so my book, How to Pay for College, is designed to to be a um, do-it-yourself complete plan for college. And it's it's it, it's meant to be applicable at, at any age. Um, and, and so, you know, so it breaks down strategies by age, whether you have young kids, middle schoolers, high school students, as well as, you know, specific steps that you'll take along the way. So how do you set up a savings account? How do you choose which 529 to use? How do you get money? into it how you know what conversations should you be having with your child at every age about about planning for and preparing for college then how do you research colleges to find the ones that are gonna that are most likely to give you the scholarships that you that you need to get um how do you come up with a budget and talk about that budget with your kid how do you appeal a financial aid award to hopefully you know to hopefully get more money and how do you create a spending plan for for your college years. Um, and then I also talk about, you know, different ways to save money on, on, on college over overall. And um, really, you know, the goal is to have a, a comprehensive one-stop shop for college planning. Um, and then the book has, um, has worksheets at the end of every chapter. Cause I always feel oh. like I read a book and I'm like, wow, that was great. Can't wait Where to do this stuff, and I set it down and pick up the next thing and for and forget all about it. And I feel like the time window to come up with a plan for college is too short to to approach it that way. And so, so there's a whole set of worksheets. So every chapter has you actually take some specific actions to get your plan, um, to get your plan in place. And the worksheets are all downloadable, so that you don't have to you know pencil in tiny numbers and <laughs> and lose it in some sort of like folder or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. Which I think is what everyone really needs is like a place to start. Like people like to be told what to do and roadmaps and just like tell me what to do and what steps I need to take. And then it's easier than trying to make decisions and choose or wonder. Um, at least that's how I function. Yeah. Like knowing what to expect and how to navigate those things, because mm -hmm. if it's not your forte, you kind of just, and there's so many options, right? You've got like college financial planners, you've got books, you've got, you know, specialists, you've got things to get your, you know, test scores up, you know, all those yeah. things. It's so much like it's, yeah. it's just one of those things to set. Well, and for I would, I would say too, call, you know, so much of our lives as parents is in triage mode, right? And college yes. is in triage mode until it is in triage mode. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> the problem is that when you get into triage mode, that's senior year. And there's so much that's happening senior year. You know, you've got last choir concerts, last soccer games, last birthday parties at home, last, you know, last, 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 last that you want to be fully present for. And if you have done nothing to prepare for college until senior year, then you and your child are going to be overwhelmed with college at a time when you want to be fully present in the year that presents itself right then. Absolutely. I think I, I did, um, when I went, I think I applied in my junior year and was accepted right before senior year. So I already knew where I was going and what I was doing. It was, and seeing my friends, like still doing the process, it was really nice to have like, oh, I'm already knowing what I'm doing, where I'm going. Don't have to worry about it and kind of take a breath. 
Um, so staying, you know, early, I mean, um, you know, not everyone is like that, but I feel like earlier, the better. Yeah. And because the college application process is really daunting. I mean, my, my daughter applied to eight schools and she had to write 24 essays for wow. eight schools. And, you know, it was common app statement of purpose, coalition app statement of purpose, you know, private schools have their own essay questions. Um, you know, there was a, an essay that she had to write for her high school uh, counselor to do a letter of rec, um, right. you know, all just all that kind of stuff, which on top of a full high school senior course load and theater and choir and social life, <laughs> a job and, you know, all that stuff. Right. It was, it was, it, it was a lot. And so I was really glad that, you know, she'd started a lot of the essays ahead of time. We had done a lot of college research. So we already knew where she was going to apply and we had narrowed that, that list, um, that list down. Absolutely. And it helps too, with your kids are also interested in helping you with the process. So your parents aren't doing all the work because mm -hmm. you need to also learn and, and, and contribute because we can't write the essays for you kids. Like <laughs> you have to do that. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. This is very, I know I need to start and get going. So um, it's on my list of things because I just got a divorce. And so I finally got the house and my finances and then I've got like my 401k set up. And so now I know that this is actually a natural step for me as well. Um, even though my kids are still elementary, it's like, oh, we have time, but it really does catch up. And if you can start now little by little, so you're not putting maybe more chunks aside when they're older too. So it's not such a, like a hit to the budget as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, with savings and compounding, the earlier you start, the more work your money does. The later you start, the more work you do. Absolutely. And so um, where can we find your book? Where can we find you if we would like more information or maybe work with you or um, do you just, it's, it's just the book yeah. and then people come with questions? So my, my book is How to Pay for College. It's available from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, bookstores, bookstores everywhere. Um, my website is howtopayforcollege.com just all, all one word. And I have um, loads and loads of free content there about all different aspects of college planning. I also have a um, college planning masterclass that's really targeted at families of high school students, you know, who are in those last, last phases of, um, of putting their, of putting their plan um, together. And so, um, so those are all the best ways to, to find me. Awesome. And everything will be in the show notes for the listeners to find. And um, what a great uh, website URL that you guys, that you snagged. That's <laughs> awesome. How to pay for college.com. And I really do appreciate you being here and sharing everything. And um, it's definitely a book I will be checking out and starting sooner rather than later. And you were full of knowledge and lots of stats. I love the stats. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank you for listening to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to Anne, please feel free to do so through the podcast or uh, through her website. And I really do encourage you to take a peek, especially if you have kids around my age or, um, hey, for you listeners that have kids and about to go to college this year, might want to jump on it, might want to look into Anne's book. And um, thank you again for listening. And thank you for being here and for sharing everything with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to an episode of Chaos and Cookies podcast. Uh, check out the show notes for all the links and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group 
or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.